Julie Ellaby lives in a small city and she is practicing urban homesteading. She creates lots of her own goods, including a lot of her own food and a product called wax wraps, which are a great alternative to cling film. So if you're looking at reducing your carbon footprint and moving towards zero waste, then wax wraps are probably something that you've already thought about if you haven't already purchased, but you can also make your own. Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. Today we are having a conversation with Julie Ellaby. Now Julie Ellaby is a urban homesteader so that's something that you don't come across all that often in the UK but it is something that's becoming more and more frequent. Now urban homesteading is a large part of the topic of this conversation but also we talk in detail about making wax wraps. This conversation was an absolute joy to have. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I think that comes across in the conversation. So without any further preamble I will hand you over to Julie Ellaby. Hello, Julie Ellaby. Thank you ever so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. And you're here to talk about all sorts of things. I've got a little bit of a list of things I want to touch on with you, but I thought I'd start with just general urban homesteading. And that's basically what you would describe yourself as. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, and it sort of took me a little bit of time to think about um, what was the best way to describe what it is that we're trying to achieve um, here. And I felt that urban homesteading probably sums that up best of all. Um, and I think the best thing to compare it to would be, um, or compare against it, in contrast against, would be smallholding, um, which is what most people think of in the UK, but a homestead is something that's quite different. Um, so a small holding is where you have a bit of land and you probably raise quite a lot of livestock. Um, we don't have a bit of land, we have a, a good sized garden um, and we're doing what we can there with, um, we've got chickens, we're um, about to hatch some quail for the first time and we're beginning to build up a kitchen garden. Um, so there's that kind of element of it, but the other half I think makes it more of a homestead than a small holding kind of aspiration is that we are um, also embracing the um, home baking and crafting kind of side of things and little use in the UK and people do think of it as an American term but I don't think it is necessarily I think it is just um, a specific uh, my understanding of the word homestead is that it's connected to all the things that you do kind of in and around the home approach to it basically. Yeah, it's, it's also, it's got some other connotations with the sort of the frequency with which people would consider themselves. So in the UK, if you say, oh, I'm a homesteader, it's not something that people hear a great deal. But if you say I've got a small holding, that is something that, you know, is, is a far more 
generic sort of in in common parlance you'd be far more likely to hear that in the uk and i think that that it's the opposite case in america although i'm obviously quite willing to be corrected on that if i'm wrong <laughs> no i i personally agree with you that's my kind of understanding of it um small holding is definitely a much more familiar word um in the uk um but i feel that if i were to describe what we have here as a small holding there would be um a bit of I feel like a fraud, to be honest, um, because we're very much in a suburban environment. Um, I live in a small city. I um, live in a very residential neighbourhood. Um, we're really yeah. fortunate that our garden is in that kind of self-sufficient vein. So that kind of works really well for me personally, because I'm a bit of a serial hobbyist anyway. I like to kind of try my hand at different skills and dabble in different things. Um, yeah. So it's kind of um, it's all very kind of connected, really, is my thinking of it anyway. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And just because I know that we've got listeners from actually all around the world. And I know there's a, a bit of a contrast between the UK and the United States. I'm not really sure how it translates to the rest of the world. But there's kind of this, the, the, the term smallholder in the UK is quite a common term. And it invokes a very specific thing here. And it invokes, as you say, you know, someone raising a fair amount of livestock of one degree or another. And it doesn't really necessarily invoke a lot else other than that. And then the term that's used in the US much more than the UK is homesteading. And that, for me, like like you, like you've just said, that, that has connotations of far more than the stuff that happens outside the home, although that's a huge part of it. It's more that whole holistic approach to sustainability is is incorporated within the, the term homesteading. So it's one I prefer as well. Yeah, that's right. I think that is probably the, the main distinction. And yet there, there is a, a kind of um, continental divide between the use of the words homesteading and smallholding. Um, and I think some people do imagine that those two words are interchangeable and to an extent they kind of are um and it's it's strange that homestead is used so much in america seemingly slightly larger than most of our neighbors um sure. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but it's still definitely a garden isn't it it's yeah a it's, field it's still or... a garden it's we you know i, I couldn't keep a goat <laughs> sure sure <laughs> um but it's, it's for me it's it's about I know, but the idea kind of connects to a lot of different kind of aspects of my life and the values that I hold. Um, and really, we started kind of thinking about turning our garden and our home into a homestead as part of our kind of zero waste journey. So um, it's very much ties in with the idea of being a bit more aware of our impact on the planet and how much resource we're taking up, being quite conscious of. But I think yeah. the last two years, um, especially, we've really kind of upped our game on and so... I feel like I might have started by not using single-use plastic carrier bags and now I'm in a place where I'm trying to grow as much as my food as I, as I reasonably can and um, embracing a lot more of the kind of um, the arts and crafts movement I guess really. Sure so let's let's talk about that for a moment then because that was your kind of gateway into becoming a homesteader was it not the, the idea of reducing your waste? That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been um, quite an eco-conscious person anyway. I mean, my eldest daughter's seven now and she was straight into cloth nappies. Um, so it's something that we've always tried to make small changes kind of every month where you look at what you're doing, look at the waste that you're producing and try and find a way of um, reducing that and kind of making, making simple swaps or just shifting your buying habits and things. 
so yes, yeah, so that kind of took me to where I am now um, in quite a significant way because I think probably the first plastic swap that I made was cling film. I used to think that cling film was essential. <laughs> um, it's the way, the way I was raised, I guess. I think you know, yeah. some people, it's just something that you have as a staple in your kitchen. And I saw this single-use plastic going in the bin. And I, was, I thought, okay, what else can I do? Um, and there's a big kind of trend at the moment now for people swapping out cling film for um, wax wraps. Um, I thought, brilliant, there's a solution. So I went into some rather well-known um, high street shops and saw the price of them and thought, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely not. I, it's, you know, I mean, if you want to pay that kind of money for a couple of wax wraps, then absolutely go ahead. But I thought maybe I'll just make my own. Um, sure. <laughs> so, so that's what I started doing. And I started just experimenting um, and making them for my own kitchen. And then kind of Christmas came around. So I was making them as gifts for friends and family. And then after that, I thought, actually, I'm getting quite into this. And I was experimenting with different methods because of different ways that you can make them. And also um, you can do different blends as well. So, I mean, it's quite a traditional idea, actually. It's just kind of a resurgence of something that people used to do all the time. Um, sure. So you can just make wax wraps with using 100% cotton and beeswax. Some people like coconut oil. Personally, I like to use jojoba oil. But if you want to get a bit fancy with it, you can include things like um, some people use pine resin, which I'm allergic to. So I don't. I use Daymar gum, um, which is a nice alternative. And you can use oil blends as well. So I've kind of, you know, played at being a scientist in my own kitchen. <laughs> yeah, well, that's awesome. That's all part of the fun. And that that kernel of an idea that that. Oh, I'm not sure that I'm willing to spend that amount of money for X. Mm-hmm. that I could make my own that that kernel that idea that way of thinking is for me I mean that is the seed that that germinates and grows into what we do as homesteaders for me across the board you know it's it, it, it ties into growing your own food but it also grows much more from that into this whole holistic approach of what can I produce for myself above and beyond food. And it doesn't have to be, we don't have to beat ourselves up if we don't achieve everything, but there's so many little things that we can, you know, just have a go at doing ourselves and increase our knowledge and and they all build on each other. I don't know what your experience has been, but I've certainly found that being able to just accept that I'm going to have a go at a few things has enabled me to actually achieve far more than I might have thought I was able to before I started. Yeah, very much so. Um, I like, I mean, I think I'm sound personality types as well. I'm the sort of person who likes to roll their sleeves up and, and have a crack at something. Um, and as I said before, I, I see myself as a bit of a serial hobbyist. I like to dabble and try different things and work in different mediums. So, yeah, like, I mean, this year we we learned how to put up a greenhouse without instructions because it was secondhand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and dug a foundation for it and things like that. Um, and um, and we built our own veg beds from scratch as well, which is something that I had never done before. Um, but I'm going to hold my hands up and admit that I have a next door neighbour who is an absolute legend. And every once in a while, I think he sort of curtain twitches and, and sees what I'm getting <laughs> in my garden. Um, Watches you struggling with something and comes to the rescue, does he? Completely. It happens a lot, actually. We've, we've got a great relationship. Um, he's retired now, but um, he's, a, he's a tradesman him, himself. So he's very skilled with tools and I am not. 
Um, so he'll leave me to it for a bit and then pop his head over a fence and go, um, I've got a tool that would do that in seconds for you, if you like. So wow. <laughs> yeah, you can't put a price on having a superhero neighbor, can you? No, I mean, we trim their hedges and we give them eggs. So I yeah. hope that we, in some small way, pay them back slightly. Sure. <laughs> we don't have to follow the rules that most people have of a front garden and a back garden. Sure. So we, we use our front kind of like an extension of the back because it's um, it's quite private with high hedges. So we're kind of, kind of a bit irreverential to the traditional garden setup. Definitely want to get back to the wax wraps at some point. Sure. But before we do, I was just wondering if you could just give us a bit of an overview as to what it is you've got going on there. What's your actual setup? What is it you're doing and what is it you're not doing and, and things like that? It's really easy for you to get in touch with us. You can do it either by sending an email to selfsufficientcontact at gmail.com or by using the link in the show notes to send us a voice message. You can send us a voice message just using your phone. You could also reach out to us on Facebook where we have the Self Sufficient Hub group and the Self Sufficient Hub page. We're always thrilled to get your feedback, questions or suggestions for future topics on the show. Sure. Okay. So we have a, um, it's a corner house, corner plot, which means we've got a garden wrapping around on three sides and it, it makes the garden a bit interesting because, uh, so we've got some flower borders in the front, which we have food growing in as well. So we've got things like um, peas and some tomato plants in there too. And I like the idea of mixing up yeah. your flowers with your food. We have, as I said, we've got the greenhouse, which we put up in the winter um, and it's in its first season and doing really well. It's, it's dinky, but it's really um, very full. And we've got no dig beds in there. So we're using kind of dabbling of different sort of permaculture ideas and methods. So we're um, adopting a lot of the no dig approach. Yeah. Um, but I would be frowned upon by no diggers because I use very high raised beds. Um, <laughs> 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 so I'm I'm not a purist um but that's because we also have young children and a dog and we have chickens so it's helpful for me to have raised sides to my beds to keep everybody out basically yeah um so yes we have eight chickens in a mixed flock and they give us rainbow eggs um which nice. for those who aren't, aren't familiar just means each chicken lays a different color nice um, and that that's brilliant that's really wonderful and then the latest thing is that we're beginning to hatch quail. They're on day four now. So we're quite yeah. early days um, in the incubator. And the the chickens are sort of pets with benefits. So they are for um, egg laying. But the quail are going to be for the table. And that will be a really interesting learning for the whole family because yeah. it sort of it, it moves us from talking about our values and um high welfare sustainable food of all types all food yes. groups yes. to actually really um doing it for ourselves so and i think with young children it'll be really interesting to see how that works as well yeah um, so yeah early days on that experiment <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge step that first step especially with a family i think it's great if you can get over that first hurdle of breaking down that barrier i think um you know that that's just a huge thing to achieve so well done for attempting it thank you i think we will succeed i think with 
I mean, I don't rush into things. I tend to, um, I probably take longer thinking about a thing than I ought to, to be honest. Um, but we have given it a lot of thought and been very, tried to try to kind of reality check ourselves and say, are we serious? Because I don't want to end up with an awful lot of pets. Um, which is <laughs> <laughs> An awful lot of pets. <laughs> yeah, it, it could become a problem, but I, I yeah. think we can do this. We, um, part of our kind of moving away from that kind of supermarket intensively farmed produce, um, over the winter we started to um, look for meat from other sources. So yes. um, I've got a friend who has a small flock of Shetland sheep, which are just up the road from me. Um, so we bought a half lamb from her and some wool, and I made a beautiful hat. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> small things like that. And then also um, there's a local um, shoot near us who give away excess game, which I think is wonderful that they um, yeah. don't want to see it go to waste. So we started picking up pheasant over winter um, locally as well. And that was a sort of stepping stone towards the quail because I had to learn how to pluck and to um, dress the pheasant yeah. myself. Yeah. I feel now that I'm familiar with all of that process, it will make the quail less daunting, I, I hope. It's For, sure. Basically. For sure. So, yeah, so all, all these things sort of connect in. And then um, the other aspect from the garden side of things is about biodiversity. So, um, you know, letting the clover colonise the lawn has been really quite beautiful, actually. I've really enjoyed watching that happen and not stressing yeah. about weeds in my lawn is lovely. Yeah. Um, and then we got some um, saplings from the Woodland Trust last winter as well, which we put in the garden. Pet, um, a wild cherry and um, two hazel trees. And we've Excellent. got three dog roses as well. So sort of UK native um, sort of foraging. Yeah, kind of for sure. Really. I'm a huge fan of hazel in the garden because you, you get the nuts, but you can also coppice it and use it for basket making and, and all sorts of different things you can also coppice it and use it instead of buying canes for your runner beans and things like that I'm a huge fan of hazel that's what I'm really hoping for um and the reason for that is kind of twofold I mean as you mentioned um things like um like bean poles at the beginning of lockdown um we could not get um bamboo canes or poles full of no money anywhere because obviously we were um in a self-isolating situation yeah. um and I thought oh you know what if I was seven years ahead of myself um <laughs> yeah you'd be selling them <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um and me talking about being a bit of a serial hobbyist um one of the things that again has been postponed because of lockdown um is that I had put myself onto a basket weaving course as well it's another skill that I'd like to learn I'd love to be able to weave something from the hazel that I've actually grown in my own garden as well yeah I've actually got an interview coming up with um a professional or semi-professional weaver which I'm I'm thrilled about and uh that'll be coming up in the next few weeks but I'm, I'm really interested to try my hand at that myself so what else have you got going on what sort of crafts are you doing um away from the garden um so in the house at the moment, I'm focusing on um, making wax wraps, but also I'm working on a commission at the moment for um, pyrography, which uh, for those who aren't familiar with the term is um, burning artwork into wood. Yeah. Um, which is, again, like I said, I'm a dabbler, so I'm relatively new to that. Um, it's my first commission. Um, and I'm 
going to, oh, I've started already, but I'm going to be kind of documenting my progress with those pieces on my Instagram account as well. But in terms of being part of the kind of kind of public face of elegant sufficiency, yeah, I'd absolutely love to get more into doing commissions um, for choreography. You can now support the show directly. Just go to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficienthub. You can become a patron and set up to donate to the show from any amount. Pledging as little as $3 a month makes a huge difference. If that's not your thing, you can also support the show by sharing it with people you know or posting about it on social media. We really appreciate all the help that you give us. It's people like you that make this show possible. sufficiency is kind of how we ended up having this conversation it's your front facing facade if you like of the sort of the monetized side of what you're doing isn't it that's right yes so yeah I'm um I'm really enjoying those I'm like I said I'm just logging that kind of progress on my Instagram account as well so you can see the kind of steps that go into um taking somebody's sketched idea and moving it across onto the woodwork yeah. So is that one of the things that you're kind of promoting for yourself, the pyrography alongside the, the wax wraps and other things? Or is that just just a one off that kind of landed on your lap? How, how does that sit within your sort of ideas of how you're moving forwards? It started as a one off landing on my lap, but I would very much like that to develop into something else. I'm hoping that if people see what I've achieved with somebody's someone else's ideas that their project um that they might go actually you know what I'd really like to see something else that I've done realized in wood as well um sure. and also for myself I'm I've got some ideas of some pieces that I would like to draw and then put onto wood so although I'm doing all of this very much for myself and my family and doing it with my family um although I'm sure it sounds like I'm taking a lead <laughs> which I probably <laughs> am <laughs> I'm gonna bring them on this journey kicking and screaming someone's um, got to take the lead <laughs> has, has been my experience they, they do get very stuck in um good and we're all just very very supportive of each, of each other to be honest um but yeah I mean I again part of my idea of, of what we're hoping to achieve here is that I think you can have um economic sustainability hand in hand with environmental sustainability so I would like the things that we grow and raise and produce and craft and make um if there's a way of monetizing some of those then i think that's wonderful because then we can use that money to go back into these projects because yes. you know i'm i'm not super rich i'm not able to just kind of spend lots of money to kind of get my instant self-sufficient dream in my own garden that's not going to happen i think you have to be quite realistic about what you can achieve and how you go about doing it and what your resources are yes. so I do see kind of anything that we're able to um, to sell or you know, kind of services we provide, um, any money from that would go back into the kind of the project as a whole, basically. Yeah, no, good for you. And one of the things that was highlighted was was your wax wraps. They're sort of front and centre, aren't they, of the you know the the current state of affairs and and where you are. Is that, is that a fair? Summation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So um, I think because I started on the wax wraps quite a while ago, and um, I've really kind of um, 
developed that and what I've got to offer was um, a really good quality product. So that's definitely something that I'm leading with. Um, but at the same time, I'm keen to not tie myself in too much and be seen as a wax wrap. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Don't get typecast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> keep, keep it open and fluid, you know. I, I do think um, allowing myself kind of freedom to add other things in um, and also maybe kind of remove things if I feel they're not working as well. I think having that flexibility, especially in this day and age, um, is really critical. Yeah. So let's talk about the wax wraps then. And first of all, um, if you don't mind, just tell us sure. what they are, what they are, how you use them, why you use them, why we might choose to use them rather than something else and then maybe spend a minute talking to an absolute beginner who's never even contemplated making their own as to where mm -hmm. we might start yeah of course so wax wraps although are a massive upswing item at the moment because of the zero waste movement are a very old traditional way of keeping your food fresh um so i think a lot of older people listening might kind of go Oh, yeah, I think I remember we used to do that or my parents used to do that. That was um, the way that people used to do it. And it fell out of fashion because things like cling film and Tupperware became a massive deal. Um, mm -hmm. And now people are sort of going, oh, wait a minute. This is still a really viable option. Um, and if anything, we've just made it trendy because now you can get so many beautiful prints of fabric that you can make your wax wraps out of and you can um, make it very stylish and you can have it complementing your kitchen if you want to yeah. um so a wax wrap is made from natural materials it's 100 cotton um and that's in part because it's um an easy fabric to work with but also it um is compostable so at the end of its life when it is completely spent you can compost that which is also wonderful yeah fantastic um, and then what you do is you imbue the fabric with wax. Um, now, I know there are vegan alternatives out there um, where there's like a soya wax that you can use. Um, I've not explored that myself, um, but I know that other people who make them can do it that way. Um, sure. I tend to use um, these wax. I've used wax from a local beekeeper. Um, and I've also bought wax from an online supplier as well, because the a bit like the honey, um, the wax has a different smell and a different color depending on where those bees have been foraging yeah so i prefer a slightly paler less strongly scented wax and um, because you're using it on food you don't really want the smell of the wax to be overpowering sure so you just basically soak the the fabric in the wax and when it dries you can wrap food with it and you just use the warmth of your hand to make that wax a little bit um, sort of pliable and then it will start to kind of mold around and seal to itself you can use it on covering open dishes or um, jar lids you could use it for wrapping things like cheese and you can use it for basically anything that you would use cling film for and more by the sounds of it pretty much with one very glaring exception which is that you can't use it for meat and fish um, and that's because with the wax wraps bread if you have a really large one it's absolutely perfect for keeping your bread fresh if you were to wash them at 60 degrees the wax would just melt straight out of the fabric so yeah. that's one one slight drawback but it's a really important one to be aware of is that when you do wash them you wash them in soapy water but the water needs to be kind of relatively cool um so you still get them clean yeah. but if you're wrapping them like wrapping raw meat with them um that's not going to be hygienic so things like cheese 
veg, cooked food, breads, those kind of things, you know, your, your packed sandwich, all that's fine, but I just wouldn't use it for um, meat, basically. Sure. So how would I go about making my own? It sounds so simple, but uh, I'm not sure it is. <laughs> oh, it can be really, really simple. Um, I just like to complicate things. So <laughs> um, what I, I do <laughs> is I, um, I mix up a blend of wax with hobo oil and daymargum, and that just gives it, um, makes it a little bit more instantly malleable, and it also gives it a bit of tackiness, so it kind of clings to itself a bit more. Um, and I think that's useful for helping people who are, very used to using cling film to kind of make that switch because it's a bit more familiar in the way that you use it so it's just I think it's like a baby step the second stone to get people away from cling sure. film so yeah, there's a few different methods um you can put it on some parchment paper on a baking sheet in the oven and you could grate the wax with a cheese grater that you don't want to use for anything else ever again but you can do it either way and the, the 100% wax ones work absolutely brilliantly and <laughs> sprinkle that on top. <laughs> no, once you've got wax on it, you that's it. You're not using that for cheese. I personally don't do that method because I don't really want my oven running all of the time. And then you can sprinkle that on top and put it on a low heat in the oven and then watch to see if it melts and make sure that it's melting evenly. Bring it out and then pick it up by two corners and waft it for a few seconds until it begins to set. Right. Whereas one that's made just with beeswax, um, you might have to tie it with string sometimes, you know, because it's not going to have as much hold. That's very uneven. So you'd have to kind of iron it between parchment paper afterwards to get that more even. I've tried yeah. dipping with a ban marie. Um, so you can, a bit like how you melt chocolate on the hob, um, you can yeah. melt it in a ban marie and then... find self-sufficient hub content elsewhere online in lots of other places we have a youtube channel we also have our website and now there's our facebook page and facebook group links to all of these you can find in the show notes come check us out so the third method um, that you can try and it's the one that i personally use myself because i think it's just a lot cleaner um, and easier to use than the other two methods is um, doing it with your ironing board. So um, you still have to grate the wax with um, your cheese grater. So sacrifice that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's gone. That's yeah, that's gone. gone. I've, I've got a separate cheese grater that I picked up really cheaply um, just for the purpose. So you get an old towel and you just cover your ironing board. I mean, you really, it's not messy, but it's just in case you do kind of spill out the sides of the paper. Um, sure. And then you get two sheets of um, like baking paper, parchment paper, and you have those on top of the ironing board. And basically in between those is where you sandwich your sheet of cotton, um, which can be any size and shape that you want it to be. And the sprinkled wax that you sprinkle on top. So you put the top layer of paper back down and then you iron over that with your iron. So you, yeah. want, you want your iron set to a medium heat and you want to make sure that the steam is turned off because you just don't need steam. And just kind of work it around and you'll start to see through the parchment paper that um, the wax starts to melt and you can see where it's running into in the fabric. And it's, it's kind of quite fun and um, calming actually as a, an activity. And you sort of begin to kind of work the iron around and see that wax melting in. Then you peel back the first sheet of paper and have a look. And if you've got any dry patches, then um, just add a bit more and keep going. Um, until you feel that you've got a really nicely saturated wax wrap. 
the next and then do you have to turn it over and do it from the other side or does one side get all the way through all the way through in fact i've gotten to a point where i now do three wax wraps at the same time where i have three sheets of cotton and i just sprinkle wax on top and it melts through and it melts through all three of them um but you know you can do one sheet you can do three you and they don't and they don't stick together or they they do stick together but they peel apart quite happily or that's right so they do peel apart so you, this next step you sort of have to work pretty quickly because wax i mean anybody who likes to play with candles at the end of an evening meal um will know that wax will set very very quickly so yeah. as soon as you feel it's done you um peel back the first sheet of parchment and just leave that face up on the, the side of your ironing board and then very quickly by taking up two corners you peel back the first wax wrap or the only wax wrap depending how you're doing it and then yeah. hold that up and give it a waft for a few seconds and then peg it somewhere or drape it somewhere to finish setting and then if you've got several if you've stacked them the way that i do you'll want to quickly um re-iron the um the next one and then peel it back and re-iron each time which takes a second but it's just making sure that the wax is staying at a temperature where it's liquid um, yeah if you leave it too long and i've done this occasionally and then have to go back and rework it um then you begin to get a bit of a texture on your wax wrap which is still functional it's just not as pretty that's all whereas if you the faster you can take that back off the board um the neater and cleaner the finish of your wax is going to be yeah i can picture it i can i can imagine exactly what it is you're you're talking about and it's really it's so satisfying doing it and i hate ironing so So is there there any reason you can't use um old clothes um, yeah, you could do potentially. Um, I mean, yes. Yeah, Obviously, so you'd want to give them a good wash first, but is there any reason why you, you wouldn't be able to use that as opposed to buying new fabric? No, not at all. And in terms of um, adhering to sort of the zero waste ideals, it's even better, really. I mean, you want it to be fabric that's not completely worn out. Um, yeah. And ideally, it needs to be natural materials. Um, so yes. cotton is is the best. Um, Polycotton, not so good because obviously you've got different sort of um, heat kind of um, like if you're ironing it and using high heat, um, it might perform differently to pure cotton and you can't you can't put it in your composter. So no. Um, But yeah, there's no reason why you can't recycle fabric that you've already got. Okay. And is there anything else you'd like to share on that topic or any others? Yeah, I think I've given a kind of a thorough idea. I mean, like I say, in terms of like the homesteading um, activities, I do things like knit and sew as well. But for me personally, I don't see that as being part of the other like, public face of elegant sufficiency. Um, sure. Partly because I'm I'm an incredibly slow knitter, so um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no way that's going to be anywhere near profitable uh, for me. Sure. But I think that's it, though. It's about kind of doing things that you enjoy and also being realistic and honest with yourself about um, your time and, you know, use quite a crude marketing term here, but that return on investment is really important. I find it quite upsetting when I see things like on like Etsy and other kind of um, homemade craft selling places where you see somebody selling something that obviously has not factored in the cost of materials, let alone their time. Um, yeah. And I, I feel that all of us who are choosing to, be it as our main income or as a hobby business like it is for me if you're going to be 
hand making and crafting things, I think it's really important to make sure that you really do um, sell it for what it's worth. People do need to be valuing things that are man-made and, and handmade, should I say. Um, I think that's something that has been undervalued for too long and we sort of need to bring that back a little bit. Yeah, and I, th- I think we're on the crest of a wave really with people valuing artisanal products mm-hmm. now. I think they're really starting to come into their own and people are, you know, lots of people are very, very prepared to pay substantially more for an artisanal product that has been created with care and love with natural products and all that all that kind of thing uh, rather than a very very cheap but equally functional factory built equivalent i think we you know that is very much of the essence at the moment i think there's a there's a large market expanding in that area this is it. I think um, it's really important for those of us who are kind of making um, for that market that we um, we value ourselves, to be honest. For <laughs> I sure. think, yeah, I think that's that's really, really critical that um, you don't feel the pressure of the more kind of um, factory made kind of commercial um, kind of side of things. But just isn't full of soul, I guess, really. Um, yeah, that's the difference for me. So do you want to tell people where they can find you online and what they might find if they come and check you out? Yeah, absolutely. So if you do not want to trash your beautiful cheese grater, um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how wedded people are to their cheese graters. Um, (laughs) Then um, I am um, selling some of my wax wraps um, online. I've just started a Facebook page recently and you can find that at um, Elegant Sufficiency UK. and I think I'm going to be starting to put my pyrography pieces on there as well. So that's very much the kind of um, the selling front of Elegant Sufficiency is the Facebook sure. page. Um, Instagram, um, although I will be kind of keeping a diary of the things that I make um, for Elegant Sufficiency, it's more about the journey um, with the homestead and the garden and the growing and that side of things. Um, so you get a lot more of an insight into the kind of family life and the projects that we're working on um, and hopefully any money that's being made through selling wax wraps and so on will be showing on Instagram kind of where that money is going into and, and the different projects that we're then able to facilitate so things like um, the quail hopefully fingers crossed when they hatch um, I'll be um, keeping record of that on the Instagram so um, my handle on Instagram is elegant sufficiency UK um on facebook it's elegant sufficiency uk and on youtube i think i've just gone for elegant sufficiency because that was not already taken well uh, there'll be links to all of those places in the show notes to this episode so please do go and check julie's stuff out it's beautiful to look at and you won't regret it so please 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 do go and check her out on instagram and facebook and youtube Anything you'd like to say before we sign off, Julie? No, I'm just very grateful to be involved in um, in your podcast, to be honest. I've been listening to a lot of episodes and I think that what you're doing here is just fantastic. Well, bless you. Thank you so much for saying. And uh, thank you ever so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. So uh, hopefully I will speak to you soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. If you find this podcast valuable, there's several ways you can support it. 
the easiest of which is to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. You could also talk about it or share it wherever you post online, including your social media pages. And now you can support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. See you soon.